0: From Cambridge 105 Radio, this is The Business of Cambridge with Sukio, Episode 5 of Season 1, Retail.
1: Hi, welcome to The Business of Cambridge. Today we're talking about the changing face of the high street and maybe a little bit about the future of retail as well. There's always going to be a particular focus on Cambridge, and I've got two guests with me today who know a lot about the retail environment. So, hi, Harriet. Hello, nice to see you. You founded Harriet Kelso Bespoke Jewellery. When was that that the business started?
2: Um, it was 1998, staggeringly enough. So, uh, yeah, 21 years ago. We started off in Hertfordshire and we opened our first retail specific premises which is more a design studio than a shop actually but it's a bit of both in uh, Green Street in Cambridge 14 years ago it sort of made sense for our brand to come to Cambridge because it fits with a lot of what we're about. John Hoyle from Souk you are a lot more new so
1: you've only just opened haven't you?
0: Yes we're excited about rolling out hopefully the concept after a successful start in the Grafton nationwide.
1: So just give us a quick snapshot what is it that you're offering?
0: We are leasing retail space by the hour to provide access to anyone who wants it to shops. And we're trying to solve the big problem that everyone's aware of with the struggles of high street retail. We do that by fitting our empty shops with a digital canvas that anyone can put whatever content they want onto it, which makes it really easy to occupy and means that more than one tenant can be in a space over the course of a day.
1: I must confess, when I first came across you, because your business name is so similar to mine, which is Sukio, I did kind of think, well, who are these guys parking their tanks on my lawn? <laughs> but but now that I understand the concept a bit more, I'm going to see how valuable it is. I, I've kind of softened my stance. That's good. Bit. And thank you for inviting me today. <laughs> yeah. The truce
0: is, uh, is fully underway. underway yeah. it? It's
1: underway. So Harriet, let me take you back a little bit to when you first
2: started then. What was the first piece of jewellery that you actually created when you set up the business? I'd been making, designing and making bespoke jewellery for friends and then friends of friends for a long time alongside my day job, which at the time was in IT, and then I looked down at my waiting list of things to make, because I would design and make things especially for people, and I had a waiting list of over 30, and I didn't know any of them. They were all friends of friends, and so that's when I realized that maybe I could actually start to make my living uh, doing doing this rather than actually just have it as a, as a sideline. But rather stupidly, I, I fell into a mistake that I think a lot of business people fall into, which is I thought that if I was starting a business, I had to do something different to what I was already doing, which is quite weird when I think about it. I decided that if actually making bespoke jewellery for people at reachable price tag wasn't already a thing, that it must be too difficult to achieve because I did loads of research and there was nobody doing that. I wanted to be able to actually reach a sort of normal high street audience if you like with price tags that so, for example an engagement ring might be a thousand pounds it doesn't have to be fifty thousand pounds in order to be designed and made especially for you so the first pieces of jewelry I made I decided I was going to do bespoke chains with sort of uh, some gemstone beads along them sometimes and and that would be as close to customized as I could get but um, I very quickly realised within the first six months that that was actually really not going to work and not really interesting. And actually what I needed to do was stick to what I'd been doing, which is designing and making slightly larger pieces, especially for people. So somebody might want a, a silver dress ring with an opal in it or a particular pair of earrings or an engagement ring made to their design. And so that's what I then focused on. I think until you actually get the product out
1: there and start selling, sometimes you don't... It's difficult to tell, isn't it, what people really want?
2: I think the mistake I made was I didn't have confidence in my own idea. What I was doing was already working and it should have therefore shown me that that was possible. But I think when you're actually blazing a bit of a trail in a new direction, which is what we ended up doing and ended up winning lots of awards for, which has been great now is a thing Uh, but of course it wasn't a thing then you know being able to go into a high street jeweler and actually have something designed and made wasn't something that was happening.
1: So it's quite a learning
2: process and so
1: with Souk then how about you and the sort of research that you did before setting it up how do you know that this is going to be a really viable service?
0: Well I actually was part of an accelerator called Zinc in London where 50 of us joined forces to try and come up with ideas using tech to solve social problems and because I'm a former property developer with businesses like Grosvenor in London, who did the fire station on Parker's piece, for instance. I wanted to focus on areas that I already had proprietary understanding, because I thought it would make my judgment more likely to be correct. And I spent a lot of time essentially researching the problem and then testing it. And we did a big trial in CB2, which was our first foray into kind of renting space by the hour. Which was successful in a way that we couldn't have imagined, and gave us the confidence to push it even harder. Yeah. And
1: is it empty retail units across the country? Is that the, the goal? Is this is what you're trying to be using for the space.
0: Yes, I think that the way that retail is struggling at the moment is a completely self-sort of manufactured problem. The landlord-tenant relationship, in not all but many cases is not working for the people who drive the high street, which is essentially the business owners and occupiers of those shops or restaurants and other uses. And if they can't afford to run a business there, then landlords need to wake up, I think, and realise that the situation where retail, real estate, has driven a nice income for a long time is, is coming to end and, and needs to be adjusted. The problem is, is that, in many instances those landlords don't recognize that so we're coming up with a solution that provides access to people who would otherwise be priced out of the market
1: and so the idea is that people just rent the space by the hour
0: yeah we realize that actually for a lot of people shops don't make any sense if you are even if you're I don't know, Zara or an H&M, uh, you know, a, a reasonably successful incumbent high street brand, your shop is not really making you any money on a large proportion of the week. Monday and a Tuesday, those shops are essentially empty. I mean, they're full of stuff, but no one's buying things there. They're not making you money, and therefore they're not really serving the purpose for which they're intended. And we think that it'd be much better if those spaces that we all collectively own or have a stake in, we're doing something else that did add value to the community and was priced appropriately. So by taking the complexity of fit out, which is a hugely chunky cost element of occupying a shop and allowing that fit out to essentially be digital, we make it much easier, quicker and cheaper to occupy space. And in doing so, we mean that it allows people who can ill afford that space to occupy, less valuable times and still charge a premium at the peak hours that underwrites the overall financial viability.
1: And with your shop, Harriet, how did it feel when you first moved in? Was it really wonderful to have premises that were, because everybody wants different things, so to have Mm -hmm. your own space, how
2: did that feel? when we first moved into a space of our own it was actually a workshop space first of all in Hertfordshire where we still have our workshop just sort of very close to Cambridge and that was amazing just for me because it just brought it out of my home which was uh, getting a bit crazy because I was uh, making jewelry on my kitchen table <laughs> but it's, it's interesting what you say because actually John I was having a conversation this morning with the agent who manages the shop where we are in Cambridge which is Bidwells they work for our landlord at uh, uh, Trinity and um, I was talking about this exact thing about the the shops in Green Street where we are. So many of them have been empty, actually. They're, they're not too bad at the moment, but the one next door to us is empty again. They have really moved in the last, I'd say in the last year in particular, from having been quite, I mean, I don't want to say they were arrogant because that sounds rude. They're, they're my landlords. Why would I possibly say that? <laughs> but, um, but, you know, it, it, there was an attitude amongst all landlords, you know, not until really quite recently that all of the people like me renting units off them had to be quite submissive to that situation and, uh, you know, we needed to we didn't have, you know, very good terms on our lease for for break clauses or for, you know, maintenance and and at one point I remember they were trying to sort out some kind of fire alarm situation. They were trying to charge us all an enormous amount of money, and make us sign something about how, you know, if something went wrong with our air conditioning, we'd be liable for setting fire to the whole of Cambridge or something insane. And of course we said no, and it was really difficult situation. We had a real fight about it. Whereas now, when we're about to renew our lease fairly soon, where we're just trying to work whether we will or not they're starting to realize they're starting to look at businesses that are working and work out why that is and trying to adapt and change their style and it's interesting the change of attitude has been really quite
0: extreme well part of the problem is that shops have been owned traditionally by people who want risk-free long-term income and that's not really what an awful lot of retailers want anymore that we're in an amazing time where it's the easiest it's ever been to launch a business and try and test it and online there's practically no risk to or cost to trying that and unfortunately taking physical space offers the opposite it offers a long-term contract uh, upfront capital costs and landlords are you know having to adjust to that and mm. it's it's a difficult moment for them particularly when the people who own those shops have got return requirements in terms of income expectations you think shopping centers are often owned by pension funds insurance companies who are you know trying to drive a return for their investors so it's hard to suddenly change the way that you let people occupy because it undermines that whole pyramid but it's a testament to you that you've got good negotiating power by being a successful business over a long period of time
2: Yeah, not not everyone else can Hmm. do
0: that though Um, which is you know Mm. the challenge I think it's also great you get a lot of use out of your space because Mm. you do you actually create stuff in it Mm. Um, so it's almost performing a number of functions which is kind of what we're trying to replicate Mm. in some way Um, a you know a shop is not just about selling stuff
2: Absolutely. And when, when
0: you get that right, they start the really vibrant places for the community that they once mm, were. Yeah. Ours is called souk and it's a the Arabic word for market. You know, we, we want to get back to that time when it was fun and enjoyable yeah. to socialize and hang out and learn and do stuff and create things and yeah. make money
1: an important thing you said as well harriet was uh experiential mm. so it's the feeling that you can get something in a proper bricks and mortar building that you can't necessarily get online um, yeah. and i did pop into your shop at the weekend Use this show as a bit of an
2: excuse for a bit of retail <laughs> therapy
1: <laughs> um, but i was walking around and i really liked the way that you put because uh, it's not just you designing the jewelry now is it it's your yeah, team i've got
2: um, a team of 40 all together in 20 are designers fabulous
1: Mm. and so I really like seeing the labels on some of the jewelry to say who had designed that Mm. that ring felt the same as in nice bookshops nowadays where you might get little handwritten reviews Mm. of the books and that sort of more personal touch so is that something that you've tried to to bring in over the years or did you have it from the beginning I
2: I think we had that from the beginning because we've, we've we don't we've never employed salespeople we we only employ designers and then you know makers and then people that that operationally need to be involved with that we don't employ anybody to do sales because we always feel that designers interact much better with with individuals and it's always been for me part of the experience of coming and getting a piece with us is the experience of getting something designed and made and having drawings done in front of you or whatever you may be doing. And we've also always, um, I think I've always very much focused on the experience side of it. So it's interesting hearing what you've got to say there. So we we do things surrounding what we do to take experience out. So for example, a few months ago, we did something at the Fitzwilliam Museum where we took a maker and a designer and we ran some workshops there for people to, to make some silver pendants. So they all came away with something they'd made themselves and actually that's something we're doing more and more partly just because it's interesting and fun and and partly to engage new people in creativity because they're the future of of all of us you know I mean jewelry making in particular has struggled over the years in this country and so the more of that there is the better but but also it does engage customers and consumers because people are talking about you and for me it's always been very much about that alignment of community and creativity and you know almost the sort of business just does itself when those things are working anyway
1: and is this where you see the opportunity then you're enabling people to use this space in a way that allows them to interact with customers meet people do a bit more in a physical space yeah
0: to tell stories that get lost in traditional retail environments I mean I'm not as expert or as skilled as Harriet in terms I'm, I'm just someone who's basically come up with a different financial transaction model effectively for retail which is aimed at allowing anyone to do whatever they want because suddenly at very little risk they can take a couple of hours and they can fail you know and that's important at the moment if you take a shop for a 10-year lease and you fail having fitted it out you've lost an awful lot of money and that's terrifying that's bonkers why not let people try and fail and spend 50 to 100 pounds because that's how you activate spaces it's how you activate businesses it's how you let creatives flourish lower those barriers to entry and that's what we're all about for everyone and it it's not necessarily commercial enterprise it's Oh, we had a. In cons- funnily enough, we had a conspiracy theorist uh, the other day who thought four hundred people were going to come and listen to his story, and only two turned up, and it was a failure ultimately. But it was a very cheap failure. Did he have um, a,
1: a theory as to why that happened? Maybe. Um, yes, um, <laughs> okay. he did. Uh, lots of reasons,
0: right. actually. Uh, well, he's a conspiracy theorist, yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't he might need um,
2: to take the space to talk about the theory of why yeah, no one's exactly. coming to the space.
0: But the point was, you know, we said celebrate that just like we celebrate the successes because it hasn't cost him anything hugely significant he won't lose his house maybe a little bit of face but we all know that we've got to try and fail before we necessarily are huge successes so our space is all about embracing that
2: I was just going to say it's very interesting thinking about how this links up with my experience because back when I started a business I started on the internet before people really knew much about the internet in 96 I had a website and because it was a very cheap way to start out it was almost free back then to have an internet site it was extremely easy to optimize it because there was hardly anything to optimize it against so I remember we were the number one search for engagement rings for years and then all of a sudden this um, people started optimizing websites and so I started doing that myself again, for free. It was very easy. I was paying very little for my website. I didn't really need to do anything to keep it in that effectively A1 location online. And this carried on. And then Google came along a bit later. And then I was there sitting at the top of Google for those important searches. So I was, it was great. I could be in the middle of nowhere in the countryside and not really worry about it. And then they suddenly changed their algorithm and everybody like me that was floating at the top of natural search went right down to page 100 and something and uh quickly tried to optimize the site managed to grapple our way back up to page three eventually after a you know week weeks solid work doing it and that's when i realized i needed bricks and mortar because i had all my eggs in one basket and so that's when we opened the shop in cambridge Whereas now, what's happened is that uh, Google have have changed again and now they're optimising local search. And so where we used to be getting a lot of customers from London because they'd just be searching for bespoke jewellery and we'd be still floating towards the top there they've now changed that again and so they're trying to optimize local so somebody who might not be doing you know as well frankly perspective as we're doing might come to the top in London now when we used to be the top of that search and so we've now got bricks and mortar in London as of a year and a half ago and the reason we took that on was to re-optimize our local search for London as well as hopefully to satisfy our London client base.
0: You're right, it has flipped. If you're a digitally native brand, it's very hard for you to compete with the incumbent sort of market leader. Because their spend on social media will be, will dwarf yours. And we're trying to be a bit like the sort of when Wix or WordPress or the early no-code websites mm. came along and suddenly online retail boomed because anyone could create a website. We're trying to make it as easy to occupy a physical space as it would have been to launch an online or mm. it is to launch an online business. A good example of this is a a guy from Taiwan who's built a mobile phone game, got in touch about advertising with us or using our space. He's never going to come to the UK and he can't reach the UK market because he can't compete with King Media's Spend, who dominate currently the sort of mobile phone gaming market. But he's going to take our space from three till six, a couple of days a week. And I'm sure the local kids will be fascinated and it will make way more of a targeted splash than if he spent a fortune trying to compete.
1: So um, on the business of Cambridge today, we're talking about retail. And I've got John Hoyle from Sooke and Harriet Kelsall, the jeweller. I'm interested in Cambridge and what makes Cambridge different as a retail environment. So what was it that led you to launch your first space in the Grafton Centre, John?
0: We were very lucky. Um, Our first site at CB2 caught the attention of Legal & General, who are a landlord who luckily are are thinking about all of the problems that we've been discussing and being very proactive. And they backed us to open the the site in the Grafton. But it's a great place to start Cambridge because although I had some resistance by my initial funders who said Cambridge is too rich, you're not demonstrating that you're solving a nationwide problem if you go to Cambridge... Actually, there's huge inequality here, and there's a real mix of all sorts of different people that I think is very representative of the rest of the country. It's just that's not necessarily the the front that Cambridge pushes out to the rest of the UK. And so we've been able to benefit from the vibrancy of the the startup and academic world, as well as uh, the population who really need help and need a high street, need that community supporting them.
1: And Harriet, when I was out on my little uh, research shopping trip on Saturday, <laughs> I thought the place was buzzing. It was really, really busy, just so many people out and about. Um, do you find that Cambridge is still a really vibrant place to be an independent retailer?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, similar to, to what John just said, it's a, there's actually a great diversity of people. It, it, it's hidden well, you know, it, it's because it's a very middle class place, but actually there's a huge diversity of people here, which we love because it means that we work with all different kinds of people and budgets and ideas. But yeah, I mean, I think it's a great place to be. I mean, the reason we set up here was because it sort of aligned with our jewellery style, because we may be doing things sometimes in quite a traditional way. We do a lot of hand-making, but we're also embracing very much the cutting edge of technology. We will use the the latest technology of, of CAD and other things as a tool to do what we do, and you know, we're communicating with our workshops via video microscopes, and you know, we, we keep moving things on. For me, it's very interesting to look at my Cambridge customers compared with my Hertfordshire customers and my London customers, because they're very different. And in Cambridge, I think that people really value the story and they really value you know what's going into something who's making it we've done a a lot um with fair we helped to launch fair trade gold and that's been really important to what we've done people are interested in what's going on at the bottom of the supply chain here and i'm not sure that they are everywhere as interested as as they are here in that side of things and so it's it's great it's a great place to be from that point of view um, for for you as well for your startup it's a place where people don't just want the next brand name you know that you don't see very many people walking along with brand names on their clothes here compared to some other places and actually people are much more interested in what's behind the brand in the community engagement in charity and um, and actually in, in in the story of what's happening
1: and John, where do you see things headed over the next year? Are you excited? We're very How does it ex- feel when we well, just opened?
0: It, it's incredibly exciting. I think startup life is kind of the best and the worst job in the world because it's all on your shoulders and you're never quite sure if you're going to succeed or not. But we have had an enormous reaction to Sook, partly because the problem is so acute and we've got support from Transport for London, who awarded us their retail award and have given us 40 sites. We have had interest in investment from Philip Hammond, the former chancellor. We are talking to some amazing brands, not just at the sort of nationwide level, but of course at independent level, which is really cool and exciting. So I hope what to answer your question, what I hope what the next year brings is our ability to demonstrate that this can work commercially because if we do we'll be able to increase the vibrancy of town centres around the UK and that's the goal it's something that people are going to use and enjoy and it's going to add value to community and and be sustainable because actually the numbers add up
2: and show a completely different way forward as well because I think for me this is the way things should be going and especially with the charitable link which is I wasn't sure whether that was there so that's really good to see because I think that business needs to change in general not just retail the days when you sort of altruistically donate to charity with one hand and then sort of make loads of money with the other I think the days are happily numbered. I don't think it's the right way forward. I think those things need to link. And, and I don't think charities should need to rely on handouts by generous people. I think it should be linked with business in a way that actually brings that right back. So it's great to see that.
0: There is also all of this local power that has been forgotten about for a long time. Our high streets are full of really vanilla brands they're basically the survivors of this yeah. landlord-tenant relationship, the ones who are financially strong enough, and they've got to that position of survival by being massive. And that actually is a really bad experience because every high street looks and feels the same. It would be much more interesting if we connect with all of your you know, associated local individuals with people who have got maybe that firepower link the two together and create vibrancy that's well funded local and expert and and tell as you mentioned really interesting stories behind all of the local stuff that's going on in a in a far more interesting and sustainable way
2: and get people together because the trouble is with the way things are at the moment with so many people doing most of their shopping online is that people are just sort of sitting down at their computers and, and ordering things and having their lives in in isolation and then there's all this crazy polarization of everything happening on social media because nobody's actually getting out and talking to different kinds of people and you know consequently becoming more and more down one crazy line whereas you know you've got to, we've got to get people out we've got to get people together and you know if people aren't meeting you know gone way gone are the, are the days when the community was all about whatever the church or whatever it was years ago and then it became sort of retail became the new church and now that's changed again what what are people doing just sitting and and sort of worshipping their computers I mean you know I think people need to to sort of get out and do something different.
1: So if people want to come and see your jewellery in the flesh and pick it up and admire it in the light and all these things, then how do they find you?
2: Yes, well, you can uh, find us on Green Street in Cambridge and uh, online at uh, hkjewellery.co.uk. OK, and for Souk, how do people book the space?
0: Uh, we are at souk, S-double-O-K dot space. And actually, without booking, you can curate your space. So we ha- our builder is available where you can play around and in virtual reality see your shop in all its glory before having to make any commitment to book which we'd love people to do because it's really fascinating to see people using it in totally different ways. Sounds like
1: a lot of fun as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Okay well thank you so much to both of you for joining me today and uh, join me next week on The Business of Cambridge where we'll be unearthing even more stories from business owners in and around the city.
0: Our thanks to John Hoyle and Harriet Kelsey guests on episode five of the business of cambridge you can download or stream this or any other episodes in season one at apple podcasts spotify google or wherever you get your online audio and of course it's on the cambridge 105 radio website the series is a tdc production and in the next program sue and her guests will discuss team building